It's great to see you guys all here this morning. If you're a visitor, welcome. If this is your first time, welcome. We're in, coming towards the end of a series in the book of James. Um, we're in James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 today. And it's amazing because um, although we're going through a series and we're, we're building up a picture of what God is saying, each week is a, God has stuff to say to all of us each week. If you've missed a few, that's fine. And if you really wanted to, you could catch up online, I guess. And they're all on Facebook. So we're coming to the book of James, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 today. Just before I, uh, uh, we do, um, at the back there's some little books, some little leather-bound books. And what they are, there's an organisation, what they've done, they've taken the, the Gospels, all of the Gospels together, put them in chronological order. So you've got the story of Jesus from the four Gospels in one little book. If you're talking to someone about Christ, if you're, you've got a friend or a neighbour who just, you feel, just needs to know more about Jesus. There's loads of these at the back. Take one, take 10, take 20 if you want to. They're free. Uh, they were gifted to us as a church for free. Um, so take one of those. Have a look at those there, there at the back. If that blesses you and blesses someone else. Um, we've been saying for the last few weeks, probably since the turn of the year, how we feel God wants us to get back to a sense of awe and wonder of who he is. We can, if you've been around church for a while, if you've been a Christian for a while, we can become flippant about God. Almost too comfortable. We think we know him too well, but we really get a sense that God is saying, I want us to get back to a sense of just who he really is. And um, there's a book I've been reading called Incomparable. I think someone else has a copy of that. Uh, it's a really, really great book. It's, I like it because the chapters are really short. I don't know about you, sometimes I start in a book and I already flip to the end to see how long the chapter is going to go on for. Um, and, and if you have a short attention span, as most of us do these days, it's about 13 seconds or something like that. The chapters are quite short, but it goes through time and time again, different aspects of God, different, different parts of the character of God. It's, it's a really, really amazing read. And I can put a link on that on Facebook if you're interested in that. And, and also, if, if you were here last week, we, we shared a couple of the Bible Project videos. I know some of our life groups, you guys have used those before as well. Um, if you don't know about the Bible Project, they basically put videos up for free for us to, you are to use. It's on YouTube, it's on their, on their website as well, bibleproject.com, I think it is. And they go through all different parts of Scripture. And if you, if you use the YouVersion app on your phone, uh, there's a reading plan. It's, uh, it's a Bible Project, read the Bible and how to read the Bible. It's a 15-day plan, and it sections out, section at a time, different types of literature, different types of writings, and with a video there as well, if you're kind of interacting that way. And it's a really, 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 really good plan. And it really, it not only does it show different parts of scripture, but it also talks about how different writers viewed God. And with, with, our, with our grace and our, our access through Christ, most of our Bibles, this part is really well read. We were talking about this in our elders meeting just this past Wednesday. We tend to focus on the New Testament a lot. It's written in kind of logical writing that we kind of understand. But if we want a really awesome picture of what, who God is and what he's really like, focus on this bit. The Old Testament writers, the language they use to describe God, the way they describe God, the way they talk about God is amazing. 
We were saying on Wednesday, we need to be, we, you, you know, you've got two sides of your brain. You've got your left brain, which is all logical and thought process and things, which, which to be fair, the, the New Testament kind of, kind of feeds into that because it's kind of logical. We need to be a bit more right brain, I think, when it comes to God and allow him to seep into the creative side of our brain, the imagina- imagination side of our brain. And let's get stuck into the Old Testament. And what the, what the Bible Project Reading Plan does, it really breaks that down for, for you. It really breaks it down and explains why some writers wrote like this. And you might know it already, you might already know all this, but it just breaks it down. Those are two really good starting points as we journey as a church towards restoring, or maybe for the first time, getting that sense of awe and wonder of God and who he is. Okay, so as we come into our passage today in James chapter 5, Verses 1 to 6. Thank you, Sammy, for leading us in worship again. Bless you, my friend. Um, that, was, that was amazing. And Jeanette, thank you for, for your testimony. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to get up in front of all of you lot. Uh, not that you're harsh or anything like that. Uh, but to share your testimony. This, this is what we, we want to do. We want to have a habit of, of you guys sharing real life stories and testimonies about following Jesus. Warts and all. Because sometimes following Jesus can be confusing. We talked about this two weeks ago, didn't we? About, about often we focus on God's plan for our lives. Where does he want us next week? Where does he want us next year? What is he doing here? And God says, actually, forget about the plan. Just focus on my will for your life. And my will for your life is right here in front of you. And just walk with me one step at a time. And there's bumps in the roads in our, uh, in our life as family. There's been bumps in the roads, mainly because of my own stupidity and stubbornness often. Where God takes us to the end of ourselves. He's like, okay, Lord, uh, you, were, you were right all along. It would have been easier if we'd have just relinquished at the beginning. But, but yeah, if you've got a testimony or something to share, by all means, come and, come and speak to one of us. That would be, that would be amazing. I want to ask you a question before we get into James chapter 5 this morning. Is the Christian life hard? Is the Christian life hard? It's a loaded question, you should know that by now. (laughs) Is the Christian life hard? Life in general can be difficult, can't it? We live in a fallen, broken world that's not as it was intended to be. So whether you're a Christian or not, life has its bumps in the roads, people get sickness and death happens sadly because we live in a fallen broken world not as God intended it to be. But is a Christian life hard? Oftentimes we'll say, and it's, it's not that it's wrong to say it, but often we'll say, you know, it's really difficult, Christian life is really difficult. But then what did Jesus say? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So it is the Christian life hard. In my own life, I'll be honest with you, it's me that makes the Christian life difficult. It's me that makes following Jesus hard because I don't trust him. I don't want to relinquish control. I don't want to let go. I don't want him to have access all areas because often there's been bits of my life which I'm quite comfortable keeping to myself. Thank you very much. And he says, actually, I, I, I need for you to have that peace, that joy that I promise you that easy yoke and that light burden, I, I need you to let me in. Because he won't force his way in. I need you to relinquish control. I need you to let go. 
And when we do, and we were sung earlier about but where our anchor, where we're anchored to, if we're anchored to Jesus, no matter what this world and this life throws at us, we can have a sense of peace because we know that God ultimately is in control. So is the Christian life hard? Think about that. Think about it. Just as we've been going through the book of James, um, we've been saying from the start what James says, true faith. True faith is about you and I making a tangible difference in people's lives. Now, if you've not been for the whole journey for that, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. We need to have a point in our life where we've surrendered our lives to King Jesus, and that was an amazing testimony there. Thank you, Jeanette, with that. But there's got to be an outpouring of our faith as well. There's got to be an outpouring of our faith where, where, where not only are we, are we quote-unquote praying for someone, not only are, is there the spiritual aspect, but James says the outpouring of your faith should make a tangible real difference in other people's lives. That's, this is what James says. And as we come down to James chapter 5 this morning, I want us to keep that, keep that in mind. I'm going to go ahead and read James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6 and then we'll pray and we'll see what the Spirit has to say to us today. James 5 chapter 1 says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who move, mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to speak through, through his word this morning. Yeah, Holy Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. I pray for starting today you would renew that sense of awe and wonder in you. Forgive us for putting you in tiny little boxes uh, so we think we can control you and that make us comfortable. I pray by your spirit you would blast the lids, lids off those boxes today. And I pray, pray you would just not blow our socks off as we stand here in awe and wonder of you. Forgive us when we come to you with tiny imaginations. You're the creator of the universe, the one that holds the next breath that we breathe in your hand. Give us a focus on you, I pray today. We thank you, Jesus, as we've sung a number of times this morning. We thank you for what you did for us on Calvary. Might that be the focus and the center, center point of our life. Give us a real deep understanding of that today, I pray. Might we commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to you, Jesus, because of what you did. We thank you and praise you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you've been saying to us this year 
And Lord, a lot of this is really challenging, Lord. But we really feel that you want to move in might and power amongst us and through the people that are in this building today. I pray you would give us courage. You'd make us brave enough to lay the things down that we're holding on to so tightly. I pray you would destroy the strongholds that we keep putting up because we think that gives us safety and control. Just give us a real sense, Father, that you're the one that's in control today. We want to thank you. We want to praise your name. King Jesus, we want to lift your name high. We want to shout it from the rooftops today. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we journey together today and in coming weeks, I pray that, that the life that we, you've given us, that, that I pray that will just overflow from us into the places you've placed us, into our families, into our neighbourhoods, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our universities. And we'd see rivers of life flowing from these people that are here in this place today. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak to us? Would you wrap your loving arms around us if that's what we need today? Would you challenge us? Would you put a firework under our chair if that's what we need? Yeah, we just ask you to come and speak to us in might and power today, in your name. Amen. Oftentimes we read scripture, don't we? And we think, that's not for me. And we can come to a passage like this in James and think, those people were really awful, weren't they? Those people with wealth and money, how they treated others, was terrible. And look, look at how selfish they were. They were just holding money for themselves and they lived in luxury and self-indulgence. How dare they? And then we move on. Might I say, just suggest something. If you're reading scripture and it uses really strong, powerful language, stop and listen. Because this is often it's communicating God's heart. It's communicating God's heart. Stop and listen. So when we come to a passage like this today, we can imagine landowners not paying the, the workers that mow their fields, and we imagine them just sitting there and drinking and wealthy and while people are starving. We need to stop and listen. We really need to stop and listen. Can I say, we've talked the last few set times we've been in the book of James about strongholds. Can I just say, money is one of the most powerful strongholds in our lives as Christians. That's a fact. And this is not a message telling you to put more money in the offering plate at all. And we've had to learn that the hard way. For, for years, God was calling me to something else, and that was the one reason why I kept telling him no. I can't. I've got a mortgage. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I need to provide for them. It's one of the most powerful strongholds. And that's whether you have it or not. Can I just say that? If you think you don't have money, it can still be a stronghold. We don't talk about this, but in the Western world, where we are blessed with so much, it can become a barrier in our relationship with God. A huge barrier, a huge stronghold, a huge block between us and the Lord. In some ways, some of the, some, some, some of the, the Christian communities that live in communities have the balance with this better. There's other things they don't perhaps have, have as good a balance with, but they, their, their view of money, that it is all the Lord's anyway, which it is. So why do we cling on to it? Because it's all his anyway. And there's very few people, Christians that I know, 
that live their life like the money isn't theirs and that it's God's. Very few. Very few. It's a huge, huge problem. And I'm not saying this because I have this all figured out and I have this all sorted. This is something God challenges me on and challenges us on regularly. It's a huge, huge problem for us as Western believers. And I think, honestly, me included, I think we're too attached to our stuff. We're too attached to the things of this world. Are we really consumed with King Jesus? Are we really consumed with working to to usher in his return? Are we really consumed and determined to further his kingdom here on earth? Or are we distracted? And like the, the first century Christians, James is writing to hoarding all he's given us to cling on to control. We said a couple of weeks ago, we started out with, do you trust God? Can you trust God, we actually asked. Because normally our, 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 our immediate reaction was, yes, of course you can trust God. Yes, of course you can. But do we trust him? With everything. Absolutely everything. Because this, this is what he wants from us. And he doesn't want it to make us uncomfortable. He doesn't want it because he's going to take it all away. And and we've been there with that, by the way, because it was a problem. And he doesn't want it to make our lives uncomfortable. He wants it because he wants to show us that true life is only found when we give up our life. When we deny ourselves and follow him. And we can't do that if we're clinging on to stuff. We can't do that if we're clinking up. I want to read you a familiar passage from the book of Matthew, chapter, chapter 6. Matthew six nineteen to 24. And we could probably quote this, we've probably heard this lots of times before. Matthew six nineteen to 24. Jesus says, and if you've got a, a, a Bible with a red letter edition, the words of Christ were in red here. Chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here in in Matthew 6, in verse 20, he says, Store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In James 5, he says to them, Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. And we've said before the correlation between the words of Jesus and what James writes. Uh, most theologians think he was Jesus' half-brother and he appeared to listen quite well. You have hoarded wealth.
And this is the same. It's a problem whether we have a lot or we have none. Last time out in, in, in our series on James, we, we looked at James chapter 4, verse 17 reads, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. What is God speaking to us about today? What is God speaking to us about today? If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If God is challenging you, if God is speaking to you, please listen. I can tell you from experience, when you don't, that's not a good place to be. We should be more like the guy in Matthew 13, 44, who found treasure in a field. Sold all that he had, everything he had, the shirt off his own back, and went and bought that field because of the treasure that was in it. God wants us to hand everything over to him, hand control of all of our lives over to him. And sadly, in, the, in our Western society, money is a huge problem. It really is. And I'm not saying... It, I, I, not for one minute am I saying you shouldn't have a house, you shouldn't have a car, but, but actually what is God saying to us about what we do with our money? You might say, oh, well, well, I, well I give to God and that and sort of that kind of thing, but might I say it as well on that, if you don't notice it, if you don't feel it, maybe he's saying something else to you. If we're always giving to God out of our excess, and that's a rule of life, not just with our money, but with our time, with the talents and the gifts that he's given. If we're always just given out of our excess, out of the le- what's left over. God doesn't want left over. He wants all of us. We really need to come to God with open hands, not closed fists. And the problem is our attention to money and the focus on money shifts focus away from God and onto ourselves. Can I just say that? We become inward looking rather than living for others. Rather than like we've been saying for the last few weeks, instead of saying in the morning, getting up and asking the spirit, what are we doing today? What are we up to today? Will you show me what we're up to today? Instead of asking ourselves the question, oh, how am I doing? But how am I loving others? We become introspective. We become inward. And what I do with my money is just a really good indicator of where my heart is. And the same applies to church. All of us together as community as well. And then in this passage we see in verse 4, this is the bit that probably turns us away because we think, oh, this isn't us. It says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Jehovah El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. The injustice is against those without, the injustice is against those who can't fight for themselves. I think this is something through the book of James that God has really been speaking to us about in a powerful way. I said a few weeks ago, God isn't going to allow us, when we finish James, he isn't going to allow us off the hook. 
We've been talking about this at, at elders and with our elders and core leaders and with our leadership teams. What, what J- James has been challenging us about, what are we going to do about it? You know, he says true religion is this, looking after the orphans and widows. There needs to be an outpouring of our faith as well. If it's just an inward, spiritual, just me and God, personal salvation, it's out of line. And James says, that's not even faith. That's what James says. Don't take that up with me, take that up with him. So what's the outpouring of that? What's the outpouring of our faith? And if you were here last week, um, someone had a reading from a pope. We sang a song to Mother Mary. So this week, I'm going to give you a quote from a rabbi, just so we get, get, we get the light in. Um, and this is a quote from a guy called um, Abram Joshua Heschel. And he said, Anywhere injustice takes place, few are guilty, but all are responsible. We are all responsible for evil because only a world indifferent to suffering will tolerate injustice and inequality. And he goes on to say, indifference is more insidious than evil itself. We've become so focused on this. We've become so focused on my personal salvation. And I'm not speaking against that. Please wait and before you switch off. There needs to be a point in our lives where we surrender everything to King Jesus, everything to King Jesus. But actually, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop me just working on this. There needs to be a a huge outpouring of our faith as well. And if we're walking around with our eyes wide shut, not worrying about the injustices that are going around us, James kind of says that's not good enough. This book I waved around earlier, he puts it really really strongly. guy called Andrew Wilson. He says, no thoughtful Christian would say, sure, Jesus wants his gospel preached, the hungry fed, the sick healed, and the naked clothed, but that doesn't have anything to do with me. And yet many of us have been content to praise God as the God of justice, to extol his compassion for the weak and voiceless, and declare his promises to rescue the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. All the while, harbouring a suspicion that God generally accomplishes these miracles with mysterious winds or vague magical forces of history. We may be tempted to shake our fist at God, demanding to know why he's not harder at work. Like the Israelites, we often weary God with our words saying, where is the God of justice? He's put us here as his people to work for justice in this world. He's put us here as God's people to work against the injustices that are in this world. There needs to be a natural outpouring of our faith as well. And uh, we're going to continue the conversation in the coming weeks. So what are we going to do about it? That's my go-to phrase with all of you this year. So what do you want to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Because we can talk and talk and talk, and as Christians, we're amazing at that. We're amazing at using big, amazing, long words that no one else outside of church would ever understand, and most of us in don't either. But actually, what are we going to do about it? If this is what God says, what's our response going to be?
Let me read you a passage from the book of Luke, chapter 4. Luke 4, verses 16 to 21. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and as a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And then Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Often we read that and we spiritualise it and he wants to set people free from, the, from darkness and sin. Yes, he does, but do you know what? God's heart is to set people free from financial injustice, from, from all sorts of injustice that we're surrounded by, from injustices that we can't even imagine on the other side of the world. And when we're talking about money, a conversation we really need to have is, what do my buying choices, how do the things I buy and where I buy them from, how does that affect someone on the other side of the planet I do, I've never met and I'm never going to? This stuff matters. We can over-spiritualise a lot of it, but it seems to me it's quite clear that God's, we sing, break our heart for what breaks yours. Well, actually, we really don't want our heart to be broken because we really can't be bothered because we're too self-centred and too self-focused. God's heart breaks at injustice. God's heart breaks when people are broken. God's heart breaks when people are homeless. God's heart breaks when people can't feed their families. God's heart breaks when children on the other side of the world are going to work in factories. That's what breaks God's heart. Why doesn't it break ours? Too long in our Western following of Jesus, we've over-spiritualized everything. And there's, there's been this, this tension between social justice and, and the gospel, and the two go hand in hand, and that's where, we've, that's where I think church, we've either gone one way or the other, and we've, we've forgot the both. Yes, people need to know Jesus, they do, but they also need a roof over their heads, they need a meal to eat, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth. And he's put us here to do this. And I don't have a plan or a strategy for this because I truly believe as we engage with this and as we open our ears to this, what the Spirit is saying, like we had last week. We, we talked about the Shema last week, didn't it? Up, up here, up the screen on here talked about the Shema. And, it, and in, in Old Testament Hebrew, there's one word for listen and obey. There's not two. So if we're hearing the voice of the Spirit speaking to us and challenging us, then we get on and do it. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to be, stand in the way of that with my tiny imagination, tiny minds, because I think God wants to, God wants to blow our socks off and, and break open the doors of the boxes we've squeezed him into. He's just asking us to open the lid. Just open the lid. And he wants to move amongst us and through us in might and power and strength. So all we can do is then stand back and say how great that God is. How great God is. And even on, a, even on, a, on a practical level, Psalm 68, verses 5 to 6. And please don't think, uh, uh, when I say we, I'm including me in this, because I don't have this all figured out. If I'm honest, I don't always have the right balance with this stuff. But we need to come together as community. God has always called us to community to work this out together, 
to listen to the Spirit collectively. What are you saying to us? Did you know you could hear the voice of God yourself? That's, another, that's one for another day. Psalm 68, verses 5 to 6. Actually, let's go back up to verse 4. It says, Sing to the Lord, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, all capitals. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God wants to be a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. Putting lonely in families, leading out the prisoners with singing. Do you know loneliness is a huge epidemic in our society today? God's heart is for people who are lonely. What does that look like on your street, in your neighbourhood, in your family even? It doesn't always look like we think it does either. It doesn't, it's not always the person sitting in the house alone. Sometimes it's people in families who are so lonely. What would it look like if we were to prayer walk around our neighbourhood, actually with our ears and spiritual heart open, saying, Lord, will you show me who you want me to, to who can I minister to? Who's, who's lonely that we can bring them into our family physically maybe? Maybe move them into your house. Maybe just invite them into the, the wider God's family here. What would, what would our days look like if we started doing that? But often we hear the voice of God and then we tell him no, don't we? Um, I shared on Wednesday, uh, I, I was on the train to Oxford on Wednesday. Um, and uh, it went, pulled through Banbury. If you've been to Banbury, quite a nice place. Very, it's a very nice train station. They spent a lot of money making it look old and nice and stuff like that. And there's all these people travelling to Oxford or to London, you know, quite smartly dressed or maybe they're going shopping and that sort of thing. And there was a lady on the platform pushing a pushchair with, it, piled with, cat, with bags, bin bags full of just stuff. Had four little dogs training behind her. It, if, if you want the picture, the only thing I could think of, if, you wa- if you've ever watched The Lady in the Van, that, but without the van. Or a traditional kind of, what we might consider a bag lady, that kind of thing. I'm not being unkind, I'm just trying to describe. There was this lady pushing, pushing this pushchair as my, my train had stopped. And I wasn't getting off, I was getting off at the next stop. I had a meeting to go to. And... Uh, and I just got a real sense in my, that God's saying, uh, pray for that lady. So I was praying for enough and people that are in that kind of, that kind of, uh, that life, they've had some real trauma. If you've watched these kind of programs on TV, they, they normally get down to it. And there's been real deep trauma in their lives. Which, so I started praying for this lady, praying, Lord, will you, will, will you release her from the trauma and the things that are, that, that are, in sh- that are, sh- that are shackling her? And will you, will you give her a sense of peace and freedom and joy in you? And will you send someone your way? So I'm praying and I felt God say, well, get off the train and get on and do it then. And I didn't. Because in my head, I had a meeting to go to. And God's bigger than the times when I ignore him. But this is how God wants us to be. Because actually the person I was meeting, if I'd have said, actually I'm going to be an hour late because I've got off the train to pray with someone, they'd have been, wow, that's amazing. We need to slow down. We need to listen to the voice of God. This is super important with all of this. Everything we're talking about. What is God saying about my finances, about my money? How can I seek to, to, to repair injustice in my neighbourhood, in this city, on my streets, in the other side of the world with what God's blessed me with. 
How can, how can, how can we as individuals in our neighbourhood and wider as church family, how, how can we seek to put right injustices in this world because that's what God's heart breaks for? And how well we're doing that, how can we take the message of his son that brings life everlasting? And we could set up programs, and, and, and we, we, I said last week, I'm, within myself and from others, I'm resisting the call to do stuff really, really strongly. Because we've, we've, we've had a task-driven faith for too long. Our faith has been based on what we do rather than who we are. I really feel that this year, God's, what the word God keeps giving me is becoming. He wants us to become more like his son. Not just being, because that's quite static. I can just be over here and be. Not running around like a headless chicken doing, but becoming. Because with that, there's a sense that you're moving, you're changing. Stuff is going on and stuff's happening. And I want to journey with all of you into what that looks like. Because you know what? I don't have all the answers. And it's a blessing when I'm able to spend time with you guys one-on-one or in small groups. And we're talking about this and the wisdom that you guys have as well. And we do this as a community as we strive. And you've got to strive. You've got to fight for everything within you to become more like Jesus. Because Satan will take our focus. The things we cling on to will take our focus. Our family will take our focus. Good stuff takes our focus. And we've got to fight and fight and fight to become more like Jesus every day. And it's not about a, a, a workspace faith, but that we can just sit back here. The Holy Spirit ain't going to do it all for you. We start taking the steps and he will work into us and through us together. And the transformation that happens in us when we do that and the transformation that begins to happen in other people because of us, because of him through us, it's amazing. We keep talking about rivers of life and I really feel... You know, God's poured out this river of life into our hearts and it needs to start coming out. It needs to start coming out of, of ourselves and in rivers of life flowing through these doors, blessing the, the neighbourhood, blessing the people who walk by. People walk by and they're just supernaturally guided through the doors because God's that good. Did you know that? That we just can't explain and they're like, I don't really know how I got here. Flowing out of us so much like, like in the Old Testament when God's presence was somewhere, it needed no ex- explanation, did it? At the tabernacle in the temple, God's presence was there. Everyone just bowed down in worship because they knew he was there. We have the presence of God within us. Should it not be the same? Shouldn't need a lot of explanation, should it really? Shouldn't need us being out, you know, having to open up and having all the right words to say and fumbling our way through and feeling the pressure of that so we never bother. If we've got the very presence of God with us and we're in communion with the Son, it doesn't need any explanation. The presence of God steps into a place and you know it. And I want to say, this is difficult because we have to, as community together, we have to let go. We can't cling on to stuff. We can't cling on, come to God with one, with one closed fist back here and an open hand over here, and I want you to move. He doesn't do it that way. He'll either wrench our fist open, which will be very uncomfortable, or he'll just say no. I'll move on. I'll go somewhere else. And as we come to a close this morning, what we do with what God's given us reflects our spiritual priorities. And the problem is often we're making decisions on our own. We don't even ask God. We're not in a habit of listening. 
And I, I was having a conversation. I can't remember who it was, uh, a Christian. I don't think it was in here. And he was saying, well, it doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter where you live. These things don't matter. You've got, you're free to go make your own decisions on all of that. I didn't say anything at the time, but I think that's the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard about following Jesus. He needs us to be so in tune with him, actually, we don't even have to ask because we're hearing his voice continually. We said a couple of weeks ago, we need a new metric at measuring our faith because that makes us feel better being able to measure our faith. So how many times today have you heard the voice of God? How many times have you heard the voice of the Spirit today? How many times have you felt the presence of the Son so intensely beside you? Maybe you've never been in that place, but can I just, can I just say that he wants to speak to every single one of you all of the time? That communion that we're to have, that continuous conversation throughout all of our every day, whether we're in the supermarket, whether we're outside the school gates, whether we're at school, whether we're washing up, no matter what it is, God wants to speak to all of you directly. All of the time. But then we have to act on it often. We need to get off the train rather than worrying about what I've got to do today. Are we ready to let go? Are we ready to give it all over to the king? I just want to close with a passage from Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 24 and verse 25. Matthew 16, verse 24 and verse 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. We need to lose our lives completely and utterly, handing it over to King Jesus. We need to let go. We need to actually do what we say. We need to base our life on the truths of Scripture that we can quote. Let go and give him control. So my question to us today is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do it individually? What are we going to do about it together? And I don't have all the answers, and that's the problem. I think often we base our faith on our intellect rather than the other way around. I quoted A.W. Tozer the other week where he says, we don't understand to believe, we believe and then we begin to understand. We've had our faith upside down, we've tried to get it all figured out, get God figured out, get all of our ducks in the row, and then I'll have faith. That's not how faith works, faith is the other way around. We believe, and there's so much of God that just doesn't make sense to me, if I'm honest. There's so much of God that I don't understand, but actually, do I believe who he is? Do I believe what he's revealed to him about himself to me in his word? Yeah, I do. And the questions are fine. I'm not even worried about them anymore. The things that used to, hang up, used to be big hang-ups for me, I'm like, well, forget it, it doesn't matter, because I believe that who you are. 
I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have it all figured out. We've got to move from wanting to. We've said in the past about that we, we've got to want to want to. But you can be wanting to want to all of your life. There comes a point where we've actually got to move and do something about that desire to want to follow him, to want to let go, to want to come to him with open hearts and open hands and say, King Jesus, have it all, because it's yours anyway, and actually I'm not really in control anyway, so just have it. My life, my family, my job, my paycheck, whatever it is, whatever it is, and it's different for all of us. But I really feel God wants to do amazing things through us this year, through you guys this year. But I really believe that he wants to deal with some stuff first before he does, and that's always the way. That's always the way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with a sense of humility this morning. We forgive us, Lord, for the times when we've thought we've had you all figured out. Would you blow that out of the water today? Lord, forgive us for the many times when we live our lives as if you don't even exist. When it comes to decisions in our families and with our finances and with, with so many things, Lord. And you want us to come before you with everything. Lord, forgive us for the times when we're, we're wrestling control and we don't want to let go, Lord. Lord, make our faith bigger. Make our faith bigger so we can let go, so we can trust you. Really completely trust you and just fall into your arms this morning, I pray. Lord, there's so many distractions and things that want to take our focus away from you. Holy Spirit, would you make us brave, give us the courage to make that step, to fight for that focus, to fight for, for, for wanting to be in your presence, to wanting to hear your voice, for actually hearing your voice and listening and doing something about it, doing what you're calling us to do. Make us brave enough to step off the train, even if that makes us late, whatever that metaphor is, Lord, for us in our own lives. King Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you still love us even when we get it wrong. You still love us even when we continually get it wrong. When we turn our backs on you, you're there waiting for us with open arms. So maybe today we just need to turn towards you and see you there waiting for us. I pray that this morning as we continue to worship, we would just lay all this stuff at your feet. Forgive us for the times when we've said following you is hard and it's hard because often we get in the way. Might we just step into that life where your yoke is easy and your burden is light in spite of the situations going on around us, in spite of the noise around us, in spite of the difficulties and challenges that face us. King Jesus, we lift your name high this morning. We want to praise you and honour and glorify your name today. We come before you humbly in your name. Amen.